Oh, welcome to the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. Well, it's another Thursday night, and I appreciate each and every one of you for taking the time to sit in and listen to me ramble on, as I am wont to do at times. But again, uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, the weekly status report for our sweet little Bahama girl is that it has been a rough week for Bahama. We've had uh, thunderstorms almost every day, and uh, we've had to give Bahama her little doggy downers every day, and she's laying here at the front of the desk inside the opium den. She's looking pretty content. No storms out right now, but we had a pretty pretty good size uh, thunderstorm today. So this will be par for the course for uh, most of the summer with Bahama. She needs her doggy downer so that she doesn't tweak out when uh, when the storms come. So uh, <clears throat> again, uh, I think we have a good a good show tonight. It's just me. Um, so, maybe, <laughs> so maybe that's not going to be a good show. But what I want to talk about tonight, uh, and this is for my Libertarian Party friends and for anyone who uh, is not an official Libertarian. Uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is how the Libertarian Party can raise uh, $20 million and earn no less than 10 million votes in the 2012 presidential election. So tonight's show is devoted to what I believe will be the uh, best strategy for for the party in uh, in 2012. Um, so uh, for many of you who, uh, who uh, didn't tune in uh, last week, we had Jeffrey Myron, uh, the Harvard economist, libertarian, anti-drug prohibition fellow, and uh, we'll have that interview up in archive shortly, as well as our uh, interview with Brad Lang, who is the uh, founder and executive director of Cannabis Planet TV. We're having a little bit of uh, technical difficulties getting those uh, compressed down to where they'll fit into uh, iTunes and our archives. But uh, we'll work on that, and I apologize if you didn't uh, get to hear Jeffrey Myron live uh, last week. It was a great interview, and uh, we'll be talking about that uh, a little bit later as it, uh, as it fits into our, our subject matter for this evening. And again, if you have a comment or a question or think I'm crazy, uh, give us a call at 727-493-2205, and we'll put you on the air. And uh, if you have a Skype account, uh, you can call us uh, via Skype. My Skype ID is the New Libertarian. So if you want to Skype us, Skype us at The New Libertarian. You can call us directly at 727-493-2205. Or if you like, you can send us an email from uh, the Opium Den website. In the right column uh, of the homepage, it says Email Daniel. So if you want to send us an email, do it from there. If you want to give us a call on Skype, I'm The New Libertarian. And if you want to give us a call directly into the 
Opium Den Studio line is 727-493-2205. So let's talk about how the Libertarian Party in, uh, in 2012 presidential election can raise uh, $20 million and earn at least um, 10 million votes. Now, it must be said at the outset that the Libertarian Party, no presidential candidate has ever raised uh, $2 million, let alone 20. And uh, I think they're pretty far, pretty far south of that $2 million. Maybe a million and a quarter, a million and a half is the most any presidential campaign uh, has raised. But I think uh, the Bar Root campaign uh, ticket in 2008 I think they raised just a little over a million dollars. I'm not certain if that was our high water mark, but uh, I'm sure it's pretty close. And the Libertarian Party presidential candidate has never received one million votes. I think <clears throat> the, uh, the highest vote total we got was 968,000. So the Libertarian presidential candidate, since the party's inception in 1971, we have never received more than one million popular votes, and we have raised uh, far less than uh, $2 million uh, every, every campaign cycle. So I think the plan that I have to raise $20 million would be more than uh, 15 times we've, uh, the amount that we've ever raised uh, in a campaign, and uh, for uh, 10 million votes, it will be uh, 10 times our, our, our best success. I think it's very possible. Um, I believe, though, that uh, our opportunity, uh, although it is very good for the Libertarian Party, we stand the chance of having our thunder stolen on this issue, and we'll get into that a little bit later. So, uh, twenty million dollars, or tw yeah, twenty million dollars, ten million votes in 2012. Uh, how are we going to do that? So, we're going to talk about that this evening. And many of you know, uh, many some of my 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 faithful listeners out there, my friends. Many of you know that I was a candidate for the Libertarian Party uh, presidential nomination in 2008. Um, I switched to running for the VP nomination early on when uh, Bob Barr, former Congressman Bob Barr, announced that he'd be running for the uh, top spot on the ticket. And despite uh, whatever negatives and baggage that, uh, that came with former uh, Congressman Barr, uh, I was certain that he would uh, secure the nomination. Uh, and, of course, he did. And I did not win the uh, vice presidential race, and as many of you uh, libertarians know, uh, in the Libertarian Party, we are a little different than the Republican and the Democratic Party. Republicans and the Democrats. Um, philosophically, we're a difference, but uh, how we elect our, our top ticket for the presidential election is a little bit different. Uh, not only do our, our delegates at the convention uh, elect our presidential candidate, they also elect our vice presidential candidate, unlike the other parties where the presidential candidate is, is allowed to, uh, to pick his, his own VP. In our party, the delegates vote and uh, elect both. So that's a little bit, uh, a little bit different. And I, like I said, I didn't win uh, the VP race, <clears throat> as the uh, the panic that spread through the 
uh, more radical wing of our party. Uh, that panic ensued when, uh, when they realized that uh, Bob would win, uh, looked like he was going to win the nomination, and that, like I said, sent them uh, into somewhat of a panic. And uh, they changed the rules for uh, the VP race uh, literally at the, uh, the 11th hour. There was, a, there was a process for all of the candidates to uh, get floor time, speech time, nominating time, <coughs> excuse me, things of that nature to address the, uh, the assembled delegates. And there was a, a system of, of tokens, I guess, for lack of a better word. You had to collect X number of tokens to get uh, X amount of time to, uh, to speak of your candidacy and have, uh, have others uh, nominate and, and, and speak for you as well. So that was the process. And um, I was one of the only guys running for vice president, actively running for vice president. Uh, a couple others joined in at the uh, kind of like the last minute uh, at, at the convention. But I was the odds-on favorite to, uh, to win the, uh, the vice presidential nomination. And I was feeling pretty good at the convention, and I was collecting uh, uh, the majority of all of the, uh, the tokens for, uh, for vice president. And all of the presidential candidates, of course, they had said that uh, they had no interest in, in running for vice president. They, they just wanted to run for president and the like. So anyway, at the, uh, at the convention, I had it, uh, what appeared I had the uh, the vice presidential nomination uh, locked up but uh, <laughs> I was wrong but uh, but I was able to uh, I was able to determine who would win uh, the vice presidential race uh, as it uh, as it turned out once Bob Barr uh, won the presidential nomination everybody uh, decided to run for that was all of his other candidates that were running for uh, the presidential nomination decided to uh, run for the uh, for the vice presidential nomination and that's when they changed the rules and you didn't have to have all the tokens and anybody could speak and it uh, it got uh, it got pretty ugly there for uh, for for a period uh, after Bob Barr won the uh, nomination and I wasn't uh, I wasn't very proud of my fellow libertarian candidates uh, at that point. But be that as it may, um, as I mentioned, I was able to determine uh, who would win the vice presidential race. Um, after Bob Barr uh, won the, uh, the nomination, uh, the voting for the vice presidential nomination began uh, uh, shortly afterwards. And uh, Wayne Allen Root, who uh, was a, a presidential contender. He was one of the, uh, the top, uh, top three guys. Um, he was unable to get enough uh, votes to win the presidential nomination, obviously, because Bob Barr did, but he decided to run for vice president as virtually everybody uh, else that was running for president did. Not, not everyone, but, but almost all of them. And uh, when they had the first vote for uh, the vice president in our, in our our rules state that you must win 50% plus one of the vote. In other words, a, a majority plus one to win the, uh, or 50% plus one to win the nomination. So the first, first vice presidential vote um, was was taken, and there were uh, no nobody got 50% plus one. And <clears throat> 
so, uh, and I, I certainly uh, didn't get enough. <laughs> Uh, because, like I said, after uh, after I, I mean, I went from a lock to a loser in a, in a very short order, and I was disappointed after the first vote. But anyway, but I, I got uh, I got a, a good number of votes, and then we had uh, a second vote. And um, if you can hear, you can hear Bahama barking in the background. She decided to run out and bark at a squirrel or something. Um, but uh, the uh, the voting uh, went to a third. The third ballot, and uh, what the what it boiled down to was uh, Wayne Allen Root or Steve Cubby, and many of you know uh, Steve Cubby. He was one of the authors of Proposition 215, which is the medical marijuana uh, law that uh, California passed in 1996. So he was, uh, he, for lack of a better term, between he and Wayne, he was. Uh, he, he was thought of to be more libertarian. Uh, he was the drug candidate, and Wayne was the the interloper from the uh, from the outside, from the from the Republican Party, as was uh, Bob Barr. So there was, there was a lot of tension going on. And when it became apparent that uh, <clears throat> the my supporters, if I could, when it became apparent that the number of votes that I had, I could either either Give the give my support to Wayne Allen Root, or I could give my support to Steve Cubby. Uh, it became apparent that whoever I supported, my 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 supporters would uh, switch their vote to them, and that would determine the uh, the vice presidential uh, candidate, the nomination, the nominee. I mean, so after the second vote, uh, when the, when that uh, scenario became apparent, uh, the uh, the Cubby people. Uh, came to me and said that uh, they wanted me to um, concede and give my support to Steve Cubby because uh, in, in, in basically in these words they said, we want to fuck Bob Barr. So they wanted to, to uh, disrupt uh, the Bob Barr campaign and that was their, uh, that was their rationale behind me uh, getting out of the race and giving my votes to Steve Cubby. And I suggested to them, well, why doesn't Steve Cubby Give me his votes, and uh, I'll be the uh, the vice presidential uh, nominee. Well, the Cubby people didn't uh, want anything to to do with that, and uh, I didn't really want anything to do with them. And there there was a couple of reasons why um, I didn't uh, want to give my support to Steve Cubby. The fact that his his campaign, uh, their whole idea was to sabotage the uh, the bar candidacy. Uh, didn't sit well with me, but neither did the fact that uh, Steve Cubby is a lovely man. I like him, good guy, but uh, he's not a well man. He's not, he's not the healthiest uh, of guys, and uh, he's a medical marijuana patient. And due to his uh, his health and the fact that he needed to have his his medical marijuana with him wherever he went, Steve did not do a lot of uh, in person uh, campaigning to the to the state conventions and the like. Normally, he would send a a laptop with, uh, and, we, and they would play the video uh, for the for the people at the convention. That didn't sit well with me uh, that he that he campaigned that way. And, and running for <clears throat> elected office, especially the uh, the presidential uh, contest, can be a very uh, you know grueling effort. You travel here, you travel there, and uh, Steve uh, had met, made it very clear. Steve Cubby made it very clear that he wouldn't be. Uh, able to run, wouldn't be able to campaign in any of the states where medical marijuana wasn't, uh, 
wasn't on the books, and that was, uh, you know, two and a half years ago, three years ago, actually, when you look at the whole campaign time. And there was only about 10 or 11 states. So the fact that they, they wanted to sabotage Bob Barr, the fact that Steve wasn't healthy, wasn't a healthy man, couldn't travel, and I didn't want the rigors of a campaign to, uh, to work on his health uh, any, any more than uh, his regular life was. So the Bob, uh, Bob Barr's folks came uh, and uh, grabbed me and took me to the back of the, uh, to the, back of the convention, uh, convention hall because there was a time limit between votes. So it was a kind of a rush thing and gathered around and, you know, Bob shook my hand and looked me in the eye and well, looked up to me in the eye because he's kind of a short little fellow. But uh, he said, look, you know, you know what we've got to do and we've got to get uh, Wayne on the ticket and if you... If you do that for us, if you throw your support uh, behind Wayne uh, and get a bar route ticket going, uh, Bob Barr said that he would, uh, he acknowledged the fact that he was not very good on the drug issue, as, as evident by the fact that for his entire time in Congress, he was a uh, very ardent drug warrior. But he had had an epiphany on, on the drug, on the drug war, and uh, I, uh, <clears throat> Took him at his word that uh, he would uh, he had had this epiphany and that repealing drug prohibition was a was a uh, smart idea. And uh, Bob said, you know, if you if you uh, throw your support behind uh, Wayne, what I'll do is, and he said, you know, I'm not very good on the drug issue. And I said, well, I understand that, but uh, he said that uh, he would go for uh, he would make repealing drug prohibition um, one of his campaign issues, and that since he was not all that familiar or trusted on the issue, uh, he would make me uh, the drug policy uh, drug policy guy inside the bar route campaign. And I thought, well, that's, uh, you know, that's really what I got into the race for, was to raise the debate on drugs. And I felt that uh, Bob Barr, via his, his known, uh, he was a known entity, he'd been a congressman for six years, that would give uh, a lot of credibility to the issue. So I decided that great, I'll support the bar route ticket, and uh, Bob was going to make me his uh, drug policy spokesperson and put me on TV, put me on radio, do all those uh, type of things. So I went up and made my concession slash endorsement speech, and uh, it was a pretty divided crowd. Half of them booed me and half of them applauded me, so <laughs> what are you going to do? But it ended up with, uh, it ended up with uh, bar and, uh, and root. And, uh, you know, uh, it, uh, um, I would say that uh, even in, in hindsight, um, I would do the same thing again. I believe that uh, a bar root ticket would have been, uh, was better than a, a bar um, cubby ticket. And, and like, even, though, uh, even though I believe the bar root campaign uh, was flawed on, on several important levels, um, I, I would still make the I would still make the same call, and uh, what uh, what what transpired uh, from there is that uh, when I was running for my campaign for VP, I was I centered my campaign on on uh, advocating uh, one of the or one of the core principles of the Libertarian Party, which is obviously repealing drug prohibition, and that uh, and that went over very well. Very popular at the convention, and uh, and there was 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 great support. But um, 
in other in 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 any event um I made the deal and uh we went forward um I was disappointed though uh but not completely shocked uh, this was politics after all that uh I was not uh, not surprised when uh, or shocked when Bob Barr uh, very soon after the convention in uh, in Denver very soon after the convention he reneged on his uh, handshake promise to me and uh i i took some uh, i took some grief from the drug policy crowd uh when bob bar who i touted as a as serious about his epiphany on uh, on drug reform uh when he failed uh, to to deliver so <clears throat> that's kind of a backdrop on uh, on uh, where we are today and since the, the 2008 National Convention out in Denver, I've remained uh, very committed to repealing uh, drug prohibition and have actively uh, advocated it uh, to be a signature issue for the uh, Libertarian Party in, in 2012. I have, made, I have done so at, uh, at several state uh, LP conventions and out at our recent uh, national uh, convention in St. Louis. And I am convinced, uh, I am convinced that if the Libertarian Party makes repealing drug prohibition a signature issue in 2012, and there are some, there is some debate whether signature means the most important, but I don't believe so. But I mean, signature issue is one that will uh, help define us. If we make repealing drug prohibition a signature issue in 2012, uh, we can raise more than $20 million and, uh, and earn no less than, than 10 million votes. As I mentioned earlier, no libertarian presidential candidate has raised uh, even close to a million and a half, and we've never uh, broken the one million uh, vote barrier. So such a showing, uh, you know, $20 million, at least 10 million votes, uh, such a showing would, uh, would be historic uh, for the Libertarian Party. And uh, so here is how and why uh, repealing drug prohibition uh, will put the Libertarian Party on the political map in 2012. So let's, uh, let's first we're going to go back in time, uh, back in the beginning, back in the 60s. Um, it was a pretty, uh, pretty clear-cut classic case of uh, us against them. And the them, uh, the, uh, the prohibitionists, uh, they uh, far, far outnumbered uh, the us, and the us were those of us who knew uh, drug prohibition was a losing proposition. But like I said, that was over, uh, that was 40 years ago, and that's how the initial uh, debate sized up. It was a very significant, overwhelming consensus, I will say, overwhelming consensus that uh, drugs were wrong and bad and we needed to uh, uh, go to war to uh, to stop people from... Uh, you know, eat smoking pot and uh, eating Twinkies. Uh, like I said, that was the that was the mindset 40, uh, 40 years ago. But but since that time, uh, and bringing us up to to, to currently, uh, recreational drug use uh, has become multi generational. By that I mean boomers, uh, their kids, and uh, even the boomers' grandkids. Um, lead, lead uh, active and productive lives, and they're really tired of being uh, 
hunted down, hunted down like dogs and, and uh, treated, uh, treated like uh, criminals. So you have uh, a larger uh, generational uh, groups that are in, uh, that, that consume recreational drugs and uh, view them uh, as certainly less harmful than the government uh, believes and their propaganda tells us. And they, they lean uh, uh, pretty heavily towards uh, significant fundamental reform uh, of our drug policy laws. And also, after the, this, uh, these 40, this 40 years of hindsight, uh, many, of the, many of the original them, those who did not do drugs but felt drugs were bad, uh, many of them have come to see, with, the, with this 40, 40 years of hindsight, many of them have come to see that our drug laws create more societal harm than the actual use of, of drugs. So we have a large, uh, a large constituency out there after 40 years of an intense uh, enforcement of uh, the drug war. We have a significant uh, and important number of people who believe we are on the wrong track. Now, not all of them are ready to go back to, uh, to the pre-1914 days when you could buy heroin and cocaine and marijuana and, and all the derivatives of all those drugs freely and legally, and uh, they were very cheap, and we were actually encouraged to consume those drugs. But they are looking at our drug policies, and uh, there are, you know, there are a good number who believe that we should repeal drug prohibition. They're just completely uh, on board with that. But uh, a, a lot of them believe we need a fundamental change, and uh, if, it's, if, if a good policy is presented to them, I believe that they will, uh, they will agree that repealing drug prohibition and uh, instituting a regulated marketplace to control the sale and distribution of these drugs, very similar to what we have now with alcohol and tobacco, is the only sane and humane way to, uh, to move forward. Now, um, the Libertarian Party believes that their their success will come in convincing current voters, the people who do go out and vote in elections, to convince them to not vote Democrat or not vote Republican and, and to vote Libertarian. And I don't believe that's the proper, the proper way to move forward, and uh, I'll tell you why. I don't believe that we have the... Uh, the ability to uh, to convince uh, a large number of existing voters to come to come to our to our party, it would be more of a protest vote uh, for them as opposed to die of the wool belief system. So, I, I, where are we where are we going to get the the people? Where are we going to get the libertarian the new libertarians as I like to call them? Where are they going to come from? Well, I don't believe that the majority of them are going to come from current voting, from current voters. I believe our best opportunity is to talk directly to the, the American citizens who do not vote. Now, I know that's not a, a, a considered a smart strategy because, hey, look, they don't vote. We're going to talk to the people that do vote and try to switch them to, to our side. But in the 2008 presidential election, over 100 million eligible voters 
did not vote. 100 million people did not vote. Now, I'm willing to admit that there's a, a certain number of them that just don't give a shit. You know, they don't care. Politics doesn't mean anything. They'd be hard-pressed to name one Supreme Court justice. So there's a, there's a number of, there's a certain amount of people in the country that just aren't going to vote, period. And I accept that. But it's the, the, there are a small percentage of that, uh, that 100 million. Remember, 100 million, that's like one of every two adults that you see on the street did not vote in the 2008 election. So why didn't they vote? Uh, we should look at why they did not vote. And I don't believe that uh, the majority of these 100 million uh, individuals um, don't care. Like I said, I think a small percentage of them do. But I think the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of these 100 million voters look at the two-party system and they are completely disgusted and they don't even believe in voting for the lesser of two evils. And there's a good argument to be made for not voting when your choices are just abysmal. So we have 100 million Americans eligible to vote that did not vote. Those are the individuals that we need to focus on. Now it just so happens that the majority of that 100 million uh, voters, that 100 million total, the overwhelming majority of them are under the age of 32. And it just so happens that the majority of recreational drug consumers are in the, under, in the 18 to 32 age bracket. So what we have is we have a significant amount, and, and I'm speaking close to, to 50, 55 million in that age group. We have a significant amount of Americans, engaged Americans, Americans who follow politics. They just don't follow politics up to the voting booth and make, their, uh, make a vote. They're aware of what is going on, but there is no one who has been able to capture their imagination and to get them to the voting booth and to pull the lever, poke the chad, whatever method you have in, uh, in your area. They've, there's no candidate that's been able to, to rally that support. And that is, there's where I believe uh, our, our future, there's where I believe our, our new libertarians are. And since most of them are young, most of the young, most of the drug consumption is done, recreational drug consumption is done in that particular, in that specific age group. So we need to target, the Libertarian Party needs to specifically target those individuals. And why I believe that it's, uh, it, is the, it is the proper strategy is that during the 2008 primary season, when the Republicans and the Democrats were out having their state votes and things of that nature, I was out uh, you know, campaigning for uh, my Libertarian uh, Party candidacy, but I was also going to drug policy conferences, I was going, you know, regional, national, and uh, speaking on college campuses. So I was, in, I was engaged in moving around the country uh, quite a bit during the primary uh, season for the Republicans and the Democrats. And I ran into, uh, no surprise, but I ran into an awful lot of Ron Paul supporters. And as many of you know, the Ron Paul supporters that uh, came to his campaign, many of them, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to say all of them, but a very high percentage of them had never been involved in politics before. 
i.e., they have never voted before. Now, it's important to know that uh, Ron Paul, in his in his run to become the uh, Republican nominee for uh, 2008, Ron Paul raised $37 million. And he raised it in mostly small donations from individuals, mostly young, who had never been involved in politics before. He raised $37 million. Now, when I would talk to these young folks, uh, these young people, about uh, their politics and their support for Ron Paul, the, there were two primary reasons that they were voting for Ron Paul. Ron Paul had a lot of, it is laundry list like all candidates do. But young people supporting Ron Paul did so primarily for two reasons. And those two reasons were Ron Paul promised not only to bring our troops home from the Middle East, but that he would bring them home from uh, our, our, air, our, our military installations around the globe. There was no need for us to to project our power across the, across the globe, especially in places that had long been secure. And so he was going to bring all of our troops home, and he was going to end the drug war. Those two issues are the ones that I kept hearing more, more often than anything else. And some kids would be drug, drug policy was number one, um, you know, bringing all of our soldiers home was number two, and for others, soldiers were number one and drug policy was number two. But those were the two, uh, two main issues that uh, excited this, uh, the, the younger, uh, younger voters out there. And I also, I mean, I, I kind of played devil's advocate with these guys, and I said, listen, you know, Ron Paul doesn't have a chance, doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning the Republican nomination. And not to my surprise, but many of them said, you know, we, believe, we, we know that he doesn't have a chance. But here, this, is the, this is the first candidate in our young political life that has said things that were meaningful to us as young people, and we don't care that he doesn't have a chance to win uh, the nomination and, or, or the, the, and if he did, the presidency following. They believed that they had a candidate. They had a, a politician who was actually speaking uh, directly to them. So that is where Ron Paul raised his $37 million dollars and uh, his uh, multiple millions of votes across the country during the primary season. So it isn't like we're reinventing the wheel here. We need to look at how, uh, look at the success of Ron Paul in raising money, and we need to look at uh, these hun this 100 million-plus category of eligible voters and present to them a platform from the Libertarian Party platform that will excite them, that will, that will interest them, and that will bring them uh, to the polls to, to vote. Now, as I mentioned, a lot of these young people knew that Ron Paul uh, didn't have a prayer of winning the nomination and, and the presidency, but they were committed and they, and they, they had the passion and they, and they contributed money and time to the, to the, Ron, to the Ron Paul um, campaign. So my position, my, my point is, if we, if we have a libertarian candidate in 2012 who will make 
repealing drug prohibition and uh, war, uh, bringing soldiers home, making that our, our priority issue, uh, repealing drug prohibition. Imagine, imagine how much more money we could raise and how much more excitement and how much more passion we could generate if these young people knew that they could actually vote for this candidate for president. Not, not the, the idealistic, the, you know, we know Ron Paul's not going to win, but we're going to vote for him anyway. How much more money do you think we could raise as a party? And how many more votes do you think we could get if these young people could actually go into the ballot box on November, in November of uh, 2012, and pull a lever, poke a chad, whatever process they use, and vote for someone for president that represents important views that they hold. <coughs> I think it would be uh, it, it would be phenomenal. And when I say twenty million, the party could raise twenty million dollars and get ten million votes. To me, that's rather. I think that's conservative. Uh, Ron Paul raised thirty-seven million dollars, and people knew that uh, he eventually was. I mean, he wasn't uh, going to win. So I think we could raise more money than that and get uh, significantly more uh, votes than than ten million. But I'm using that number. $20 million, 10 million votes, because I think that would be, I don't think it would be, I know that it would be absolutely historic for the, uh, for the Libertarian Party to, to make that, that kind of a showing in a, in a presidential election. It will, it, will, it will form the basis of the new Libertarian Party, or, or I don't want to say the new Libertarian Party, it will form the basis of the Libertarian Party with, you know, millions and millions of new libertarians. We need to develop a platform that speaks to these individuals and help convince them that the Libertarian Party is the party of change, it is the party of the future, and it is the party to belong to. Um, we do that, if we use, if we use as a party if we use repealing drug prohibition as a signature issue in 2012, I absolutely am convinced that we will raise a minimum of $20 million and we will get no fewer than 10 million votes. Um, as I mentioned, my, my, my show last week was a, an interview with uh, Jeffrey Myron, the uh, Harvard economist, uh, libertarian, and... Uh, advocate for repealing drug prohibition. And uh, I was eating smart pills all day because Jeffrey, I've seen him on TV and I've listened to him and I've read what he's written and he is a very, very bright fellow. And I was, uh, I was very happy to have him inside the opium den last night and I was, uh, I, was, I was gratified. It was gratifying to know that there are on a couple of points, uh, Jeffrey and I, there wasn't a bit of daylight between us. And obviously the, the main point was that uh, drug prohibition is a failed policy, not, not, not only socially and economically, but uh, across the board, just, uh, just a failed policy. But uh, where, where Jeffrey and I uh, really uh, had a meeting of the minds was that uh, he believes, even though he's a, he's a libertarian, 
he believes that the drug issue is ripe for the Republican Party to make their own. And uh, I, I, I agree with him. I mean, I'm a libertarian. I ran for the office. But I believe that it is a Republican. It is an issue that if the Republicans were to to seize it, seize upon it, it would be a, a very winning strategy for them. In my book, The Naked Truth About Drugs, I wrote, uh, I wrote that I believed it was a, a Republican issue, a conservative issue. If the Republicans were to get back to their, their core beliefs of limited government, personal responsibility, they could, uh, they could grab this issue and grab all these you know, new young voters and recast the Republican Party. As the uh, as the party of, of of change, and I and and Jeffrey and I agreed. I mean, every Republican out there, every, every Republican politician, they just can't get they can't they can't get any they can't get close enough to Ronald Reagan. I mean, they want to be this guy's underwear. They want to, they want they just want to identify with Ronald Reagan so so desperately that that uh, he is the Republican hero. Now. You, to these same individuals that uh, love Ronald Reagan, if you ask them about Richard Nixon, they kind of pull back and look at you like and they go, well, who? You know, what the fuck? Richard Nixon, we don't want to talk about that son of a bitch. So he's not exactly a, uh, a rock star in the, uh, in, the, in the Republican catalog. So how easy would it be for the Republicans to say, you know what? Richard Nixon screwed the pooch on drug prohibition. Had he been more responsible, had he been a true Republican, had he been not so fucking crazy and schizophrenic, he would have realized that the right way to go would be to end prohibition and regulate this market as opposed to giving it up uh, to the cartels and uh, as, as we have seen happened. So it's, it's a natural, it's a no-brainer for the Republicans to go, you know what, Richard Nixon fucked this thing up and, you know, we we agreed it's a it's a it's a blight on the Republican history. We're going to change that history. We are going to be the party who is responsible, and we are going to be the party who repeals drug prohibition. So we uh, Jeffrey and I agreed on that. Uh, as 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 sad as it made us both, since we are libertarians, we believe that the Republicans have the ability to get. Uh, to, to take this issue and make it their own. Now the we, and we also agreed uh, that it's a it's it's a possibility in 2012 because there is a candidate who is positioning himself to run for the Republican nomination in 2012, and his name is Gary Johnson. And Gary Johnson was the uh, was the governor of New Mexico from 1995 to 2002. He was the first Republican governor in New Mexico's history to run to have back-to-back terms. No other Republican had done it before him, and obviously no other Republican has done it since. Gary Johnson, in his last, um, in his last uh, year or so of uh, being governor, or actually when he was elected the second time and knew that he was term limited and that was the deal, he came out very, very publicly and very vocally in support of ending the drug war, uh, repealing drug prohibition. Now, you know, he got poo-pooed and laughed at a lot back then because it just wasn't as fashionable to, to tell the truth and to be knowledgeable about, uh, about drug prohibition. 
And he was ridiculed and, you know, uh, not taken very seriously. But um, again, he's a proven Republican vote getter, two term only back to back two term Republican governor in New Mexico's history. And Gary Johnson is positioning himself to run for the Republican nomination in 2012. He has started what he's called as Our American, Our, it's Our America Initiative. The Our, uh, Our, Our <laughs> trouble here. It's Our America Initiative. He has started that. Basically, it's a draft Gary Johnson for president initiative. Now, what, what Gary Johnson has done since his advocacy as governor of ending the uh, ending drug prohibition to kind of fit a little more snugly in his new uh, Republican pinstripe suit. Gary has uh, backed off of his uh, original enthusiasm for ending the drug war, and he has decided that uh, we're just going to end marijuana prohibition, and we'll keep all the other drugs illegal, and we'll save your kids and, you know, vote for me because I'm not, I'm not the lunatic that you thought I was back when I was talking about repealing drug prohibition across the board. So Gary Johnson is setting himself up to to uh, attract those voters that uh, Ron Paul attracted. And actually, Ron Paul has somewhat anointed uh, Gary Johnson uh, in, 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 that, uh, in that context. So Gary Johnson, his Our America initiative, he's all over the web. You see his ads on, uh, on Facebook and every place. He is trying to obviously gain attention to himself, gain followers and when he's going and then he will announce his candidacy for the Republican presidential nomination in, in 2012. Now Gary Johnson's a smart guy. Uh, Gary Johnson uh, is pretty certain in his heart uh, and uh, mind that he's not going to win the Republican nomination. And I think that's part of his strategy. It's going to, to allow him to be a little more, a little less Republican or I guess I should say more conservative in his in his views than what we've uh, seen uh, in the George Bush, uh, uh, you know, spend uh, spend it all uh, presidency. But he's going to present himself as the alternative. He's going to present himself as the new Republican, the future of the Republican Party, and he is going to campaign heavily on uh, repealing marijuana uh, prohibition. He might have a slate of other ideas, but that's going to be. His number one issue, Gary Johnson, is going to be all about repealing marijuana uh, prohibitions to get the to get the young vote. Very similar to what uh, to what Ron Paul did. Now, like I said, Gary Johnson's a smart guy. He knows he's not going to get the nomination, but he's using this as a vehicle to gain national attention, to gain the uh, the the respect and the enthusiasm. Of, of young people, because when Gary Johnson loses uh, the uh, the Republican nomination, Gary Johnson will actually be a winner in that regard because he's gotten national attention. He's made the drug uh, issue and a signature issue in his campaign. And when he loses the nomination, Gary Johnson is going to declare himself an, an independent and make a run for the presidency as an independent. Now, there is, there is talk within our party that, well, why don't we get Gary Johnson in 2012 to be our, to be our uh, nominee? And I don't, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to be possible. I mean, he's, I think he's going to stay in it 
uh, in the Republican race as long as he's still getting media and raising money and, uh, and votes in, in all the primaries. But uh, I, don't, I don't really see that, uh, that happening for the Libertarian Party. But what I do see happening to the Libertarian Party is that uh, when Gary, not if, but when Gary Johnson makes his run for the Republican nomination and then turns his candidacy into an independent, he is going to steal the issue from the Libertarian Party, the drug issue from the Libertarian Party. The Libertarian Party, since 1970, since their founding in 1971, one of the central planks in our platform has been repealing drug prohibition because we warned back then, just as the drug war was heating up, just as, just as it was beginning, the Libertarian Party warned of what we are seeing today. We warned that this was what this is what would happen. We warned that prohibition wouldn't work. We showed them the examples of of alcohol prohibition and we pre, we correctly predicted of course we maybe didn't predict it to be as, as absolutely insane as it is now as a, as it has become. But back in 1971 the Libertarian Party accurately predicted that we were going to just run into the into a huge mess if we uh, continued to to prohibit drugs. So I'm I, I'm sad that here we are as a party since our inception. This has been one of the most important, one of the most central planks in our platform, and because of our fears, because of not wanting to make that an issue over the years, because we were we would be considered crazy. We were considered crazy for a lot of reasons, not just that we felt drug prohibition was wrong. We have shied away from that issue. Uh, our entire uh, our, our entire political life, and Bob Barr uh, certainly shined uh, shined it on uh, in 2008. So here we we stand uh, at a crossroads. The Libertarian Party does. We can we can use repealing drug prohibition as a signature issue in 2012 and put ourselves on the political map, or we can see it. We can fritter it away uh, to the Republicans. Uh, to Gary Johnson and uh, allow someone to to allow them to steal the issue away from us. And that is a very real possibility, my libertarian friends. And uh, it's one that I it's one that I uh, lament, but I believe uh, is very is very true. So if the Libertarian Party does not stand up for their principles, does not stand up, especially at a time when, when millions of millions upon millions upon millions of Americans are beginning to see that we have been right all along, for us to do all the legwork and then see it stolen by the Republican Party was is, is well, it, it'd be enough to make me drink, and, and everyone knows that uh, that I don't drink. So I'll, I, I would like all of uh, my libertarian friends and listeners. To get a hold of Mark Hinkle, you know that he was just elected uh, chairman of the Libertarian Party, the National Libertarian Party. Get a hold of uh, get a hold of Mark Hinkle. Get a hold of Mark Rutherford. Very, very nice fellow. Both Marks are. Mark Rutherford is the vice chair, and then uh, contact the at-large uh, chairs. We have Kevin Nedler, who is the Ohio State uh, LP chair. Great guy. Smart guy. Um, now he's moving up into into the ranks, uh, Kevin Nettler, and then David Nolan was a, was elected as an at-large uh, representative. David Nolan was one of the original founders of the Libertarian Party. 
although he doesn't like me very much, but that's because I didn't vote for Steve Covey. So we have Kevin Nettler, David Nolan, William Redpath, one of the one of the nicest and smartest and hardest working guys in the Libertarian Party, behind the scenes kind of guy, uh, just a great guy. He he was uh, at, he won it at large. Uh, Mary Ruart, who was one of the presidential candidates in 2008, won at, an at large position, as did Wayne Allen Root. Wayne Allen Root uh, again was a 2008 Republican or. <laughs> Oops, a libertarian uh, vice presidential candidate, and Wayne was running to be to be the chair. He wanted to be elected chair, but he lost out to Mark Hinkle, so he decided to uh, run for one of the uh, five at-large positions out there. So we have uh, Kevin Nedler, David Nolan, William Redpath, Wayne Allen Root, and Mary Ruart are at-large uh, chairs. A large representative, and Mark Hinkle is the chairman, and Mark Rutherford is the vice chairman. We need to, as libertarians, we need to convince our leadership that this issue is ours, the the time is right for this issue, and unless we seize this issue and make it our own and make it a signature issue in 2012, we are going to lose this issue to Gary Johnson and the Republican Party. I'm telling you that now. I've been telling the Libertarian Party that for some time, but I am telling you right now, today, July 1st, I think it's July 1st, yes, July 1st, 2010, that unless we as Libertarians band together and use repealing drug prohibition as a signature issue in 2012, we will lose that issue to the Republican Party, to Gary Johnson, and we will not get it back. So we are at a crossroads. 2008 was important for us, but 2008 or 2012 is even more important. If we do not seize this issue, make this issue our own, because it is time, this is the time that repealing drug prohibition will work. The idea will work. If we do not do that, we will lose the issue, not only in 2012, we will lose the issue permanently. And I believe the Libertarian Party will not recover. We will stay what we have become, what we have been and become for since our inception, somewhat of a esoteric debating society where, you know, we figure out how much lint is in our navel because we sit around and pick it all day. And I love the Libertarian Party. Please don't get me wrong, uh, Libertarians out there. But if we do not get our shit together and seize the moment, seize repealing drug prohibition for what it is, one of the most important issues to millions and millions of people, and in many of those millions, it is the most important issue. If we do not realize that, if we do not seize the issue, the Libertarian Party as far as I can see, will not recover. Get a hold of Mark Hinkle, get a hold of Mark Rutherford, get a hold of all of your state Libertarian Party chairs. And if you think my I, I am making sense, tell them this is what we need to do. And if you don't think that I am making sense, I put this challenge out to my Libertarian friends. Come up with an idea Come up with a plan. Come up with a policy that you believe will raise $20 million and get no fewer 
than 10 million votes. If you come up with a better idea, I'll step aside. But until you do come up with a better idea, you need to think long and hard about this one and making it our own, making it your own, and making it the the making it the, the time for the Libertarian Party, making it our time. It is our time. We, we, we have spent our entire political existence with this as one of our central planks in our platform. And if we give it away now, shame on us and we deserve it um, because we have, for all of these years, all of these years taken you know, taking abuse, taking ridicule because we were the party that wanted to make drugs legal. You know, we were those crazy fuckers out there on the fringe that wanted to make drug legal, drugs legal. And, you know, how crazy are those people? Well, now the American public, millions, tens of millions of the, of, of the American public are coming around to our way of thinking. Do we want to give that away? Do we want to give that up? Do we want to continue to debate how how many commas are in our are in our platform or how many words we can use or is this the right word? Should it be the? Should it be is? We're sitting around debating, you know, what the meaning of the word is is, like Bill Clinton did when he was embroiled in his Monica Lewinsky scandal. It is our time, libertarians. We must do this because if we do not we will cease to to be even what we are now which is not that much in the in the political consciousness of america but we will never we will never rise above where we are today and it will be a slow painful slide into oblivion if we do not take this issue and make it our own in 2012 again Signature issue, $20 million, a minimum of 10 million votes. That is what will rejuvenate and, and make the Libertarian Party vital and an important part of the uh, American political landscape. That is what I believe, and that is what I hope you are willing to take that same leap of faith and risk for us in 2012. Well, here we are. It's 10 o'clock. Uh, I've spent the hour uh, debating. or not debating. <laughs> Nobody called. But I've spent the hour uh, in, I think, uh, an important way this evening to talk about the future of the Libertarian Party. And, uh, whoa. Where'd my screen go? There it is. So, uh, if you've stayed with me this long, I appreciate it. And as we usually do, we close the, we close the show uh, with the motto that's here inside the Opium Den. And that motto is, when good people obey bad law, bad law never changes. Good night.